like to ask questions, so I want to ask you one. <clears throat> Anybody been unwrapping any Christmas gifts? Have you had a chance to yet? Some of you, not all of you. Have you been able to give any Christmas gifts away? Just a couple. Well, and you know, when I asked those two questions, have you gotten any gifts? Have you given any away? You might have been thinking about the ones that are wrapped in paper and under the tree, right? Kind of a little bit of a trick question. I hope you've given and, and um, gotten some of those as well, or you will as we go throughout the season. But I was speaking about the gifts of Jesus. Have you gotten any hope, peace, joy, or love? Have you given any away? You know, those are the true gifts of Christmas. And they're the things that are powerful and important that impact us as we live from day to day change and help us look at our life situations differently helps us to deal cope with equips us to do the same hope I hope you're filled with it that you're filled with hope regardless of where you're at right now and what you're dealing with or what you see out there in the distant future that you're filled with God's hope peace. I hope that you know it. That it washes away as you think about it. All of your fears and anxieties. All of the things that cause us and, and just gets us unglued or in a frazzle. That you know his peace. That you seek it. That you claim it. His joy. His joy. Why? Because of grace. You know grace. You know that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. You know it. Not here, but here. And that can only create joy. So as you think about it and you ponder on it and you just let it fill you, this, this great joy. And I ask you if you've been receiving it or you've been giving it away because then that would mean that somehow some way it's on display in your life you know we're really good aren't we about displaying things at christmas time we got decorations maybe you have a tree up in your house you got presents under it you got lights on the house or wherever displaying that it's christmas time oh, that's the deep hope just like those physical, tangible things, they're able to display the gifts of Jesus Christ in your heart and in your life, the gifts that are powerful, that have deep meaning, gifts that never get old, break down, wear out, or are outdated. You know, one of the things that I struggle with, and I think probably you do too, I think it's one of the curses, if you will, of this day and age that we live in, and that is that we're all way too busy. So it's my hope, even now, there's nothing else that you receive out of this word. I, I hope 
that you do because it's God's truth and there's things that he wants to share with you, but that you realize that if you want to experience the gifts of Jesus in your life, you have to take the time to do it. So whether it's time of reflection, of quietness, whatever that means, and even in the midst of busyness, that you let the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love of Jesus fill you up, that you experience it. Because then you really be at Christmas time. Kids shared it, right? <laughs> that you'll be loud, you'll make some noise. Might that be? And as you listen to God's word this morning, as he speaks about love, his love, why don't you take the time to just pause, send to yourself. And hear what he has to say. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to the first part of 8. Hear the living word of God. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. This is the word of God when to be written in our hearts and lived in our lives. So as I mentioned, I know that um, you're busy and you've got a lot on your mind and in your heart. And I hope this morning you can just kind of center yourselves and God for a moment. And regarding this truth, I'm going to ask you to consider three things. Just three things. Is that okay? You're willing to do that? Consider three things. Three things about what it is that God has to say in his word. And about his love. And uh, the first one I want to introduce just by asking you a question. And I'll give you a second or two to ponder it. Can you think of any better way to live your life or to love than to live your life full of God's love. I think I see some wheels turning. Can you think of any better way to live your life or to love than to live your life or to love with God's love? That's how the passage starts out. Here's an incredible truth, and the one thing that I want you to consider 
to consider what is the most excellent way to live. It's a little awkward. That's kind of the last part of chapter 12, but it really fits with chapter 13. And now I will show you the most excellent way. I will show you the most excellent way. And he's referring to God is about loving with his love. It's that simple. And aren't we always trying to find the better way? Isn't that true? Yeah, I have spent Christmas after Christmas trying to find a better way to wrap a package. I can't even... It's like the Charlie Brown thing. My kids always know who wrapped the presents. To fold sheets. How do they do it? To hang lights on a Christmas tree. Any of you got a GPS? You use it, why? So that you find the best way. We're always trying to discover and figure out how to find the best way to do things. We see that in marketing all of the time, new, improved. Suggesting that if you're doing it the old way, it's not good enough. And I think that that's true in the living of life. We wish we had all the answers. We wish we knew how to deal with this or with that. When things pop up or circumstances that, again, get us unglued and we're just not quite sure, we want to know, how, how do we deal with this? How do we? Now I will show you the most excellent way. Let that sink in. The most excellent way. I got a clue for you. It's not our way. And anytime we start to separate what it is that God wants to teach us and help us with, and we put it in our own terms and in our own experiences, and we try to compartmentalize it or mold it or shape it that way, we're going to fall short. Now I will show you the most excellent way. I think about that in terms of loving. How do you love people? How do you love people that you don't know or that you haven't met? ponder that one. How do you love friends? Especially the ones that sometimes irritate you or annoy you. Family members, same thing. You get to those, you know, family Christmases and there's Uncle Bob who always is a pain in the neck. I should have said Uncle Kevin. How do you deal with it? How do you love them? Just ask them. Do you love them in the most excellent way? Now, when we start thinking about children and we start thinking about spouses and immediate family, we say, yeah, I do, but I want you to think about it. What does it mean to love the person sitting next to you or the person that you, that you spend a lot of time with, a person that you say that you love? How, how is it, what does it look like to love them in the most excellent way, meaning loving them with the love of God? You know, I, I pray all of the time because I realize that if I were to love, and I started this from the day that I got married, even a little bit before, about trying to figure out how I can love that woman over there, my wife, with God's love in the most excellent way, admittedly falling short every single day. But that's still the goal. 
That's what I think about and that's what I pray about. How can I do that? To live in a way that can't be measured, that can't be valued or calculated. See, that's what God's speaking about. And so you look around you. Look at, go ahead, take a glance. I know you can't see up there. You guys can look at each other. How do you love the people that are here in this place in the most excellent way? How do you do it? I know you have thoughts. I know you have your ways and your definitions. Jesus said what? Love each other as I have loved you, John 15, 12. He wants us to do that. The problem is, do we know what that means? Do we know what the most excellent way looks like? I mean, if you really want that to be true, and if I were to ask you about that right now and go down to somebody who's sitting next to a husband or a wife and said, do you want to love this person in the most excellent way? Question I ask at premarital counseling. If you don't answer right, you're going to get a sharp elbow. But I know that that's what's in your heart. I truly believe that. That's what you want. That's who you want to be. So what does that mean? What does it look like? Second consideration, first one, loving in the most excellent way. Second consideration is, what is the definition of God's love? I mean, if you want to love that way, it'd surely be good to know what it means, right? I want to tell you this. I hope you're always exploring, and I hope you're always thinking about it. I hope you're always praying about it, because the world will always tell you what it looks like. Whether it's other people, or whether it's culture as a whole, they'll always tell you what it means to love. And now it's gone to the place of they'll always tell you what it means to love with the love of God. That's one of the changes I've seen over the last couple of decades, this, this morphing of, of, of people defining. I think Satan's gotten that good. He always has been. But to get people to believe the deception and the lies about what God's love is as defined by culture in the world. something to embrace. And I want to tell you, if you think about culture and you want to, I, I know I share this a lot about secular relativism. Where does all truth flow out of? Your own head and brain. Whatever is true for me, whatever I deem to have be true, that's what is. Same thing with love. And so we start talking about God's love. It's God's love according to what? My definitions. About my understanding. About what I say it is. Not so. God says something radically different. He says, you want to know what God's love is? Listen. I'm more than willing to tell you. Look, see. Who is it that he was? What did he do? What does he say? I mean, you got words in front of you, at least maybe, and they were up on the screen Verses 1 to 3 speak about the most excellent way and what it's like when we don't have it, emptiness, 
resounding gongs, people who profess to love with the love of Jesus and of God, but don't. But, but what is it? That's where verses 4 to 7 come into play. And if you have it in front of you, what are you seeing? Or what did you see when those words were on the screen? It's about defining the love of God. And one thing that I have to point out right now, lest I forget, is that if you were to read this in the Greek, every single word that has love here would have God's in front of it. Right? So when we say, if, if I don't have God's love, I'm empty in a clanging symbol, a resounding gong. When you get into verses 4 and you start to get the descriptions, it says God's love is patient. God's love is kind. That's huge to point out. The Greeks, and I know I've shared this before, had 14 different words for love. And so he doesn't want you to, and you think about God's love, and you think about the way we use it, we use that word interchangeably all of the time. I think it's one of the most careless and meaningful words that are, are splashed around. So I want to ask you, do you love God the way you love pizza? Do you love God the way you love football? Do you love God the way you love hunting? Do you love God the way you love other people? You see? But they had a word, agape. It's all throughout this passage and in other places. When Jesus says, love as I have loved you. He's speaking about loving with God's love. It's here as well. So if you were reading this in the Greek and you were a Greek scholar or you were a Greek person, you'd get it. God's love is this, this, and this. And there's a list. What does that list mean? What does it represent? One thing I would share with you is it is a list, but it's not an exhaustive list. It's a list to communicate what God's love is, and that is this, the sum of all of the parts. I want you to think about that. That's another thing that I share in premarital counseling. Two people that are starry-eyed and filled with love. I ask the question, do you know what love is? Whoa. Is it this big, warm, fuzzy emotion? Is it a mindset? Is it a physical attraction? Yeah, it's all of those things and so much more. You, you see the list, right? All kinds of things. And we, we tend to, when we think about love, we gravitate towards certain parts, right? Certain attributes, certain things that, that we would define as loving or being loved. But, but it's a whole list. And you put into play three things about God's love, three attributes, and it makes them all the more powerful. God's love is unconditional, it's immeasurable, and it's eternal. So when he's saying, love with my love, he's saying love unconditionally, love immeasurably, love forever. And then this list, this list. Some of all of the parts. What does that mean? Well, one of the ways that I put it is this, is that we always are either loving or not. See, everything that we say and do communicates 
or reveals the love that we have in our heart. We don't like to admit that, especially when we're not feeling too loving, but it's true. It's there when we lose our patience. It's there when we boast. It's there when we're rude and not respectful. That lack of love. And really there's a couple of things that we gravitate to and I would suggest that it's certainly here in this list. When we think about loving with the love of God, we think about grace and forgiveness often, don't we? I mean, after all, if you're going to love like Jesus, you need to give grace and you need to forgive, right? Of course, today we have that compartmentalized in our own terms. God says something different about what it means to give grace and what it means to forgive. I think one of the greatest misnomers is this um, forgive and forget. It does say keep no record of wrongs. What that's inferring is is that you're not going to hold that over somebody's head all of the time. You're not going to continue to function in a relationship with bitterness and hostility over what was done. You're going to forgive. You're not going to forget it because it's a teacher to help you love better in the future, right? It's so powerful to think about what it is that God is saying about who he is. See, God knows all your sins. Every single thing that you've ever done. Everything that you'll do. But he forgives you for it. And he gives you grace. Grace that entered the world on that first Christmas day. And when we think about grace and we think about forgiveness, I think about that line in there. It says it's not self-seeking. See, that's usually... The yardstick that we use for giving grace and forgiveness is it's about us. I'll love you according to my terms. I'll love you when I want. I'll give you grace when I feel like it. I'll forgive you if you do this, this, and this. It's not what it's saying. Love is not self-seeking. You know the two greatest commandments? Anybody know them? Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, Right? Love your neighbor as yourself. You think about that. How is he asking us to love? In an outward focus. A love that doesn't animate with self. That isn't manifested in self. It's a love that has to do with being right with God and being right with others. And that's the other part of it. Truth. God's love is fully grace. God's love is fully truth. And that's about being right. Do you see that in this list? Love is patient. Love is kind. Doesn't boast. Is not proud. Is not rude. Is not self-seeking. Is not easily angry. Keeps no record of wrongs. And then this. Love does not delight in evil, but what? Rejoices with the truth. Why is that? We know. If you have a child who is constantly lying to you, are you going to do anything about it? I don't know. Do you love them? Do you have a, 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 a friend or a coworker that decides they want to steal your stuff? Are you going to do anything about it? 
You get the point. It rejoices with the truth. It's about rightness. That's what love is all about, right? Right relationships. If you love somebody, you're going to be right to them, and that's what you expect in return. Rightness. Truth. Centered. Foundational piece of what it means to love. I've never seen a parent, I've seen some who don't have good follow-through, And maybe some who really haven't actually loved their children. I think I could vouch for that out of my own personal experience as a kid. But a loving parent, a loving spouse, they want things to be right. They want to take the time, for instance, with their children and teach them. Help them understand. No, it's not loving and kind. It's not right to be rude. Say mean and nasty things. No, you need to have control of your tongue. You need to be kind. Truth. It's not kind and loving to go up and punch somebody. See, we, and on and on it goes. Loving. Anything, anything that's in here. And then so much more. If we love our children, we take the time to teach them and to help them grow and learn to show and to, to learn what love is all about, right? So that they can experience it. It's about rightness. It's true in all of our relationships. Ephesians 3. Verses 17 to 19 says this. So God, he's sharing the definition of love. He wants you to get it, but he wants you to know it. And know it not just again in your head, but in your heart. And and this is what his prayer is for you. This is God praying for you. This is what he says. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, how can that be? The presence of Jesus. Rooted, established. And I hope with my deepest hope, that everyone here knows Jesus Christ as the best gift ever, as the forgiver of sins. If not, man, can we chat and have some coffee? The love of Jesus Christ. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all the saints, everybody here, to grasp, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled, here it is, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. See, if you only know love intellectually, if you don't have it here, what does verses 1 to 3 say? You're empty. clanging cymbal, a resounding gong. And then you look at the list and you think of everything else that God teaches and commands us. Do we love that way? Who do we love that way? Who we want to love that way? Do you see it? 
first one most excellent way. Second, understanding and knowing what God's love is. I encourage you to go back and read this passage and read it time and time again. And then the third thing comes right there, three words at the start of verse 8. Love never fails. Hard one to memorize. Love never fails. So when I'm in premarital counseling, and we go through this passage, and we get to that point, I ask them this question, do you believe that? And then we'll start turning. I don't think I've anybody ever say, of course. Do you know why? Do you know why the pauses? Do you know why it takes so long? And if I were to ask you that question in person or even right now, and I'm kind of like, do you believe that love never fails? You know why that's a struggle to believe? Because we don't experience it. We experience broken relationships. We experience people who are unloving, unkind, proud, boastful, self-seeking. And let's be honest, we're there too. Love never fails. See, our interpretation, again, is out of humanness and what it is that we bring to the table or others have brought to us. God's love is radically different than that, and that's exactly what he's trying to teach and share with us today. Love never fails. Remember, what's the word that goes first if you're a Greek? God's love never fails. Has it ever failed you? just wants us to get it. He wants us to be filled with his hope. He wants us to be filled with his peace. He wants us to be filled with his joy. Why? Because we're filled with his love. Love never fails. So incredibly powerful to remember. And it can never be put in human terms because, again, we all fall short. We all cause pain and hurt. And that's not what he wants. He wants something different. That's why Jesus was born and came to this earth. To give us the best gift ever. To have gifts that are the best gifts ever. So, what do you think? Moving forward, Christmas season, as you gather and worship, as you gather with family, as you gather with friends, we love the most excellent way. Will you take time to think about what it is and what it looks like? And will you take time to believe that God's love never fails? I hope so. God's prayer. My prayer. And I'm sure yours as well. May his Christmas gifts to you be opened and given away. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. You're an incredible God, so much wiser, so much more loving than us. 
We thank you for the love that you gave in Jesus Christ, the love that the children sang about, celebrated in their hearts. Lord, I trust and believe and hope that everybody here will as well, that it won't just be a word, but it'll be a life. May the love of Jesus fill our hearts wholly and completely. In holy and precious name we pray.